or at least six to 12 months is what I say is a no man's land. If you can make it six months to 12 months showing up every damn day, every creating day. value every damn day and not saying, well, you know, this is an option. Like, you know, I don't feel like it today. And that's the difference between the average people and successful people is successful people do not require motivation to do what's required. I was born with several causes. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. If this is your first time listening, my name is Heather Parody and I am your host. And today we are talking with Tony Watley, who is known as the Side Hustle millionaire. While he had a successful corporate career for over 25 years, on the side he built these businesses which generated millions of dollars in income. And that's really awesome and cool, but what I really love about Tony is his mindset behind all of that. He shares with us today how to conquer the employee mindset, how to change self-limiting beliefs around money. And I really love this one. Why being shy isn't an excuse for not chasing your goals. But before we get started, I need your help. If you have gotten any value from this show, if you've been listening two, three, four episodes and you know someone who could benefit from it as well, if you would just share it with one person. We really want to empower as many people as we can this year to step up, use their voice, make an impact in this world, and we need your help to do that. So sharing it with one person goes a long, long way. Thank you so much, guys. Now let's go ahead and get into this interview with Tony Watley. Well, I guess the raising part, I had very strict parents. My dad was a gunnery sergeant in the U.S. Marines, served in the Vietnam War. My mom was Japanese and she's an immigrant. She came here and she became a citizen. And I was very strict parents, you know, with the discipline with the dad. And also my mom was very disciplined on the education because she, you know, being a woman in Japan at that era, they just didn't really have value for women to do the educational thing. So for her being in this country was amazing. And she's like, hey, you, you need to get your education, you need to go to school. And to give your listeners an idea of how strict that was, I never missed a single day of school from kindergarten through graduation. Whoa, that's a record. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So it, it, was, it was basically like, unless we were on some kind of a deathbed, like me and my sister, we were going to school. <laughs> so both our parents worked full time and you know, school was a kind of a way, I hate to say it, to, to kind of a childcare. It helped them out. So once we became, you know, five years old, we were able just to, to go to school and they could go to work. My mom worked part-time at the time. And eventually she started working in the, the school cafeterias. So she spent her entire career working in the, in the public school system as cafeteria lady. And my dad, you know, chemical plant worker, basically his entire career after the military. So I got really two hardworking, loving parents that just taught me that life is not fair that if I wanted to do something, if I wanted to accomplish something, I needed to figure that out. And and what I what I do truly appreciate them is they never were like dream killers. Like, you know, we, hmm. we grew up lower middle class, very humble home, small place, just one of the worst neighborhoods actually in the town I grew up in, you know, financially wise. And, you know, I had big dreams, always wanted to do things and be a stuntman and be a 
jet fighter pilot and race car driver and and it, and it was never they never would say things like oh don't be silly or you know that that, mm-hmm. that doesn't work or that's only reserved for other people they're just like you can do whatever you want to do they, they, they were very supportive and I, I started out being an entrepreneur as a child so i was 12 years old pushing the lawnmower around the neighborhood knocking on doors asking if i could wash their car if i could mow their yard if i could do clean out their gutters whatever i could so while I had other friends that were getting allowances to buy their bicycles and skateboards and candy, I was having to work for that. But I remember being resentful for that for a little while, but I was like, I can sit here and complain about it and be resentful, or I can get off my rear and go do something yeah. and make that happen. And that's what I've done. And I've kind of carried that entire philosophy, even in adulthood. It's, I don't complain about stuff. I just go do stuff. Yeah. And I really appreciate that about you and that mindset carried you through even college because correct me if I'm wrong, you worked all through college mm-hmm. and created this life for yourself, literally starting from, from the ground up. So tell me a little bit about that. You worked your way through college and I know you've said before after college, you were working a job and you're like, what's all this free time? What's, what's everybody doing here? Cause you were so into that work mentality and building something. Yeah. So the parents, they, you know, being hardworking blue collar parents, they didn't, I was the first one in my entire family on both sides to go to college. So we didn't have any background of that. I mean, I, actually, my dad was the first one in our family that lived in a home that didn't have wheels on it. So to give you an idea, we got out of the trailer park. He just did not want that for his family. So we were the first ones that had a house. Yeah. I was the first one to go to college, but I had to pay for it. I could either join the military or I could get a job. And I actually was really close to joining the military. And he had, you know, he sat me to the side and he's like, hey, don't think that you need to join the military to pay for school. You can get a job and pay for that because I could tell you that me getting out of the military was one of the best things I ever did. That's what he told me. And I was like, well, okay, I appreciate that. And so I got a job and I was working in the chemical refineries just like him. I turned 18. I was working out there. I'm in Houston, Texas. It gets really hot in the summertime. You know, we're 95, degrees sometimes. And you're out there in a sweatsuit and you know, coveralls and a hard hat. And it didn't take me a couple summers to realize like, you know, I don't, I don't see this as being my life. <laughs> you know, I see people yeah. working in the air conditioning and I was like, what are those guys over there? Well, those are the engineers, you know, they, they get to wear normal clothes and work in the AC. And I was like, well, that's, that's kind of where I want to be. I don't, I don't want to be out here like, forever, like my parents, you know? And so I, I did, I went to school at nighttime. I got mechanical engineering degree, at university of Houston. It took me seven years. Mm-hmm. I was doing that during the summer. Then on the weekends, I was waiting tables in restaurants and restaurants and picking up extra shifts here and there to pay my bills. And you know, basically when I turned 18, I started paying rent and my parents were like, Hey, you know, there's no free rides here. And back when I was 18, that's over 20 years ago. So you can imagine like I was paying $200 a month rent just to stay in an extra room that they had in their house to help them out. And that taught me very much to be independent and to be able to do things. They didn't treat me like a child. And so that kind of carried on. And like you said, when I graduated college and I was working a 40 hour week, a full-time job, I get home at 4.30 or 5 o'clock and I'm thinking, man, I got all this extra time that I'm not used to having. I'm used to studying till late at night and sleeping very little to get to school. And I felt like I just had a lot more time. And that's when I started opening my businesses and doing things. At first, I was just picking up side jobs. I, mean, I was extra. I was actually still working as an engineer and still waiting tables. Like, I, you know, I got an extra two or three hours a night. I'm going to go work at the restaurant that I used to manage at, run food, be a server, be a bartender, whatever, and make a couple extra hundred bucks a night. And that's what I did. And then I was like, you know what? I, I need to figure out how to disconnect my time requirements from making money. Most people still have the employee mindset that I grew up with yeah. where we're trading our 
hours yeah. for dollars. Yeah. And you just think like, if I need more dollars, I need more hours. And yeah. if I want more dollars, I need to work more hours. And, and that's the employee mindset that we taught in school. We're taught by our parents, but the really is the reality is that there's a disconnect that there's no relationship between money and time as an entrepreneur. Most people can't figure that even early entrepreneurs still think that they got to trade their time for their dollars. And it's yeah. not true. Yeah. A hundred percent. Before we transition, I have, it's going to be hard for me limiting my time with all the business questions I have for you. But before we transition into what you've created since then, I wondered about your money mindset growing up. Cause I know you didn't grow up in poverty. You said lower middle class and mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners and myself can relate to that where there's almost a stigma around money is a lot of, I have had a lot of poverty mindset dealing mm -hmm. with just overcoming the way you grew up and all of that. Did you struggle with that at all? And if you did, how did you overcome that? I think we definitely have some self-limiting beliefs around money. And, and what I've come to learn is most of us create our relationship with money before we become teenagers. Mm -hmm. So early age, we become we, we create that relationship with money. So if you see your parents arguing over money, mm -hmm. struggling to pay the bills, or maybe they're making passive aggressive comments about wealthy people like, oh, yeah. it must be nice, or look at those rich snobs or a-holes, you know, and they're, they're saying things like that. If you're around those people and that's the way you were raised, you start to see maybe money or being wealthy is a bad thing. Right. Or you start to th think like, hey, money only causes arguments in my household, so it's not a good thing. I don't want any of that. It just causes arguments. Mm -hmm. And you create these self-limiting beliefs. And that's what happens is you also look at the people that you're surrounded with when you're growing up. So if you're lower middle class and you're surrounded with, you know, likely your parents' friends and your friends and their friends, and all of them are generally in the same type, you know, financial situation, and you start to hear the goals if they have any. Like most people, let's be honest, don't have any goals financially, progress-wise, fitness. They don't have any goals. They're just kind of going through the motions, living day-to-day -day in this rut. That yeah. It's complacency is what that is. But the thing is, is you start to identify goals. When I'm looking back, and, and I still deal with coaching clients now that are starting companies, and they still have these self-learning beliefs. They look at the goals that they have, and I say, hey, Tony, I'm making – $80,000 a year and I, I want to start this business to, and I want to make $80,000 a year. And I'm like, well, why do you, why do you, why do you come up with that number? Well, that's what I get paid right now. I just need to replace that. So they're, right. they're wanting to do the shell game and just replace their salary with this job that they want to create. And I was like, well, what, why do you really have that number? And you start asking this question and they're like, well, I don't know. I mean, why, why do I was like, why not make a million a year? Why not make, you know, 500,000 yeah. a year? Like what, yeah. where does these numbers coming from? And, when you start to think of that, about that and you start to question yourself, you realize that the goals that you currently have are generally something that somebody else created. They're right. not something that you created. They're, you grew up hearing, hey, if you make $100,000 a year, you're going to be successful. You're going to be rich. When you're hearing this from people who are aspiring to be average and you finally get to that pay scale, you don't feel successful. Yeah. You're like, wow, I'm here, but yeah, I don't have a jet. And I, don't, I don't have a Rolls Royce in the driveway. Like Everybody lied to me. They were telling me I was going to be successful if I made six figures. And that's how middle class America is wired. We're, we're led to believe that these financial goals of, I hate to say it, six figures. When you make 100000 everybody thinks you're wealthy all of a sudden because, you know, I think the poverty line here in the United States is still like $29,000 a year. 
And if you're making 75 grand, you're like, oh man, I'm doing good. And you can live a very comfortable life at 75 to 100,000 a year, depending on where you live, of right. course. New right. York City, LA, hell no. Houston, absolutely. Right. But you gain complacency. And when you surround yourself with all these other people who are aspiring to be average, they tell you that you're doing really well. So you don't have no ambition, no drive to like think you can do more. And then you start to have that imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to make 150,000? Who am I to make, you know, half a million a year? Like, you don't have, it doesn't sound like it's reality, but it completely isn't within your potential. Right. Right. And I think that what I'm referring to is poverty mindset right now can manifest in a lot of ways. Even if you start to believe that wealthy people aren't bad or evil, it can still show up in your life in the sense of putting your own limits on stuff for you. Exactly what you just said. Who am I to do this? Who am I to do that? Did you have that at all when you decided to start these side businesses? Yeah, I used to think, I think really small when I started my first business. I was 20, I was 28 when I started my first company. And to be honest, I've never started any companies, even to this day, about money. Most people think purpose of money, but my purpose is always to have a creative outlet, get some more leadership experience, be creative, and just create some opportunity, just be doing something, be productive, because I wasn't getting that at work. In my early engineering career, I felt like I was not getting leadership or responsibilities or opportunities to do things or be creative. So I just say, I look for another outlet to do that. And for me, that was business. And to give you an idea, when I started that first company and, and a friend of mine, we started an automotive community. It grew to 300,000 registered members. We had about 150 advertising accounts that were paying us ad- advertising revenue, basically for that, that leverage of those people. And when we started that company, we just wanted a cool place on the internet for our car guys to hang out and talk about cars. That's all it was. It was like, hey, we wanted a, a secure place that did not lose the data that we could show up every day and just chat about cars and like you know, about racing and things like that. It's like, this is cool. And so we had really low goals. Like John and I, we looked at this and said, Hey, we both have brand new cars that cost $500 a month each. So if we can get a free car basically, and maybe pay for some racing on the weekends, like that'd be awesome. Right. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And within three months we've blown past that. And eventually, you know, within a couple of years, that site was making about 400,000 a year profit. Not, not revenue. We're making yeah. 400000 a year from something we started as a hobby because we just wanted a place to hang out. And eventually that's what we sold for $2.3 million in six years. And that became the basis of the book. I wrote Side Hustle Millionaire. That's based on my story and the mindsets that I gained through that business and things that I've taught other people to do as well. So I've not only helped myself become a millionaire, I've helped friends build seven and eight figure companies themselves by just giving them the guidance and the mindset and getting over these self-limiting beliefs. And for me, my first two chapters of that book are mindset because I know that mindset is the foundation. You have to have that mindset if you want that success. Yeah. Now you were working, correct? Still at your job whenever you built this business, correct? Absolutely. I actually have been fully employed for the last 25 years. And it was only until about three years ago that I decided to leave the corporate world and start pursuing my own businesses full time. Why not sooner? Because I didn't require the time. See, it kind of goes back to the time requirements where that website, I was only spending about 30 minutes a day on that website and it was making that kind of money. And even today I own a retail, online retail business for high-end expensive wheels for cars and my average sales would be $24,000 and $5,000 a sale. And that only takes me 15 minutes a day. So. Last year, I sold over 800,000 in wheels and I worked 15 minutes a day. That's crazy. Was it hard leaving your profession after that long? It was. 
It definitely was because I felt I had invested so much time and sweat equity in getting that degree and, and climbing the corporate ladder. And I made it, you know, middle management, large corporation, you know, Fortune 10 companies, large oil companies. I was staffed at those companies. I was very pride. You know, I had a job that most people would kill to have. They, it's like a dream job, especially if you make it to the operators, you're working for a Shell or an Exxon or Chevron. And, you know, it's a prestigious title, good pay, multiple six-figure salary, you know, had a lot of, a lot of perks benefits. And I'm thinking again with an imposter syndrome, like who am I to like quit this corporate career that most people would never have in their lives. But then you start thinking about it, it's just not serving me well when I'm in my mid forties and we have these downturns in, in the, in the, in the industry, I don't believe it in job security anymore. There's, there's no such thing as job security. Yeah. And I got tired of being laid off every five to seven years because of a downturn and I found out that the more expensive that I became within a company because of my salary and my experience, I was usually the first ones to get laid off, but that also is the kiss of death because when you have that experience and you're used to that income, you're also very few jobs out there exist to replace yeah. that income. So I said, you know what, I'm just gonna take a, a hiatus. I can always go back, but I'm gonna bet on myself and start building this company. And that's when I launched 365 Driven, actually in the middle of 2017, so not too long ago. Yeah, and you help businesses start and scale, correct? Correct, correct. It's something I have a lot of passion for. There's, there's two passions that I have, cars and business. <laughs> well, we're going to so, talk about business because I know nothing yeah. about cars. <laughs> well, yeah, I can, I can talk about cars and business all day long, and people have always told me that, like, man, you love business. And, like, I've had friends, like, hey, some people do this, some people do this. Like, Tony, you have a knack for making money. Like, you just make yeah. money. And like anything you do, you go make money. It's like, well, it's, it's kind of because I, I view business as a game. Like I love gaming too. I just don't have time to do it anymore. I love Xbox and PlayStation. I grew up playing video games. I see business as a game. Most people think of it as a chore, but they, because they, they've kind of got the self-limiting belief that business is kind of like their job. You know, if you have that employee mindset and you think like, oh, starting a business, like that's just like work. Yeah. That's, that's work. Like to me, I think that's a game. Like, not only am I building something I have passion for, I have interest in something I believe in something I have a strong purpose for or an expertise in it's a game. It's like, Hey, here's the rules. We call those regulations. We call those taxes. We call those laws. Those are the, those are the rules of this game. Yeah. Like now how can I have this awesome badass score at the end of the day with that game in mind? Yeah. And that's kind of how I reverse engineering things. I try to find a strategy and scale things and grow things. And to me, that's what business is. It's a game. Let me dig into what you just said a minute ago a little bit more. Uh, I think a lot of people are really curious and this whole idea of creating your own life is so attractive, obviously, for so many reasons, not just the money, but the freedom and everything. There's so many people wanting to move into this space of building their own business, doing their own thing. As far as starting something, I think there's a lot of confusion about, okay, what are my skill sets? What are things that I can leverage and actually make money off of? Can you give us any kind of guidance of just surveying our life and figuring out what would be a good avenue to take? It's one of the things I teach people is to try to find those kind of expertise levels or, you know, the resources that they currently have. Let's say like if you're sitting somewhere and you've got access to a bunch of awesome tools or machinery or just things that you know, most people can't have access to, like what other businesses could you spin off from those to be able to utilize the resources, whether that's financial or tools or knowledge or education or experience Use those things first, but make sure that when you start a company that you have passion for that subject. Mm. And most people think, well, you know, how do I know what I have passion for? And you know, one of the best ways to think about that is when you walk into a bookstore and you see that giant rack of magazines, there's hundreds and hundreds of magazines. 
chances are there's only going to be one or two of those that have some gravitational effect that you draw to you where you find yourself flipping through the pages of that magazine or that subject. And when you realize that these are the kind of magazines that sometimes you'll read cover to cover before you even make it to the checkout line. And that's the kind of indicator like, Hey, you may have a passion in that subject. Now I'm not saying to start a business like <laughs> within that magazine, but let's say like, let's say for a gentleman, like a, like I like fishing and sports and outdoors or something like that. Well, Maybe you can create a company that not only creates a product or solves a problem within that solution or maybe that's advertising within that group. So when you start to work within your passions and an intersection of your expertise, maybe you're the marketing person. You, hey, maybe I need to start a marketing agency for the sporting and outdoors community. See, so okay. you start to have some overlaps. And the other thing is purpose. Like you have to have a strong purpose of why you're going to start a business. I think most people fail that part miserably. Hmm. Most people start a business because they think they need money. Like, Hey, Tony, I want to make $2,000 extra a month. Like that's my purpose. Like, no, that's a terrible purpose because it's going to get tough. Yeah. You're going to have that six to 12 months initially where you're really putting in the hours to build some brand. You're showing up every day. feels like you're talking to an empty room. feels like nobody cares about what you're doing feels like, why am I doing this? I feel like I'm wasting my time. And if your purpose is just to make money, you're going to quit. You're going to be just yeah. like everybody else that just comes quit. We all know these people that have like a different, different business card every three or four months that come around. Hey, Hey Heather, look at this thing. I'm in, you should check it out or Hey, buy this product. Cause you know what? They don't have a strong enough purpose to believe in the thing they're actually yeah. selling. So they're going to like, they're going to see like nobody's buying my stuff. Nobody's listening to my pitch. So I'm just going to, what's next? What, what can I create now? Yeah. So you got to have those three. You got to have purpose, passion, and expertise. So that's kind of the way you have to start. And you're really, you're really passionate about consistency as well. And I wanted to ask you about that piece because within that six, 12 months, whatever that dry spell is, that's inevitable. Mm -hmm. The thought obviously crosses your mind. Is this a consistency problem with me that I need to be patient or is this a model issue? Like, um, is there something broken in my business? Do I need to shift, pivot, or try something else? How do you differentiate the two? I think you have to niche down to a, a target. Most people getting into the entrepreneur business space, they think that, hey, I'm, I'm talented, this, 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 and this. And they try to think of all their talents and all the skill sets they have or all the knowledge that they have. And they go, you know what? I'm kind of the jack of all trades and I have all this expertise and I can just save the world with everything I know. And, and if I could produce a million of people just like me, they'd all be much happier. Like that's how most people approach business when they're not used to being targeted down. But here's the thing. We, we talk about the analogy of a doctor. If you have a very specific illness or injury, we tend to find a specialist that handles just that injury to solve that one problem. General practitioners time to kind of get the scraps. They get the walk-ins and I got a boo-boo. I need a stitches. I got a headache. I've got a cough. Like, so they're, they're not usually as paid as well as a specialist. A specialist might be a surgeon. Hey, I'm just, I just operate on feet. So, Hey, we're, we're going to book three surgeries this week and I'm going to come in and get paid a lot of money to operate on feet. And then I'm out of here. So general practitioners have to sit there 10 to 12 hours a day and wait for people to walk in and deal with all the insurance hassles. And yeah. see what I mean? So you really want to specialize in one thing. You want to start, start off by focusing on one problem that you can solve to help your clients or serve your customers. And when you can answer that question for them on a very high level, you can build that brand off of that. And when your brand becomes big enough, now you can start, start bringing in other things that you're also good at. Hey, maybe I do want to be the business coach yeah. and I build this brand and say, well, you know what? Now I can also do 
you know, exit plans and help people with this strategy. Or maybe I can also add in some legal, you know, advice on things and bring in a, a team of lawyers that kind of add to this business model. So there's ways to scale, but you have to build the traction with a very, very targeted niche. What one problem do you solve? Most people try to solve too many problems. They become a generalist. Nobody cares about their message. And you got to stay on point. Like a lot of people want to just talk about all kinds of different things. And then people are like, hey, what do you do? I don't even know what you do. <laughs> I love that analogy that you just gave. We're, we're wrapping up here in a second. But let me ask you one more thing on that. You do a lot of coaching. And I was just curious about a common theme that you see outside of mindset. Let's just kind of talk tactical when you're looking at these businesses. What is just some common mistakes that you've seen in their structure or the way that they're handling their business that this is happening over and over again? I think it kind of goes, it ties into what you just mentioned before about consistency. I, I, mm. I, I think it's a blessing in disguise. Okay. So the reason most people quit is because they think that they're entitled to more audience or more you know, attention than they deserve. That's good. That's so good. They kind of, they kind of sit around thinking, Hey, I'm, 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 I'm a genius or I'm smart at this or I'm expert or I'm attractive or whatever you're using to draw your audience. And you're not getting the attention that you think you're entitled to in the short amount of time that you think you, you see someone like you, Heather or me or somebody that's out there that's just crushing it on a daily basis. And we've built a pretty sizable audience from doing so. But the people that are observing from the silence go, Hey, that, that looks easy. I can do that. You know, look, look at Tony's doing, look at Heather's doing that. I can do that. I know this yeah. stuff. So they decide to jump in. That's not a bad thing. I want them to jump in, but they need to realize that they're seeing the results of years or at least six to 12 months is what I say is the no man's land. If you can make it six months to 12 months showing up every damn day, every creating day. value every damn day yeah. and not saying, well, you know, this is an option. Like, you know, I don't feel like it today. And that's the difference between the average people and successful people is successful people do not require motivation to do what's required. They just show up. There's no, there's no, Hey, I didn't see a motivational meme today or, you know what? I'm having a bad day or, you know, successful people are like, I don't give a crap about that. I'm still going to execute. I'm still going to show up because that's my duty yeah. rather than my hobby. When you start to think it's my duty, not my hobby. Yeah. That's when you show up every day. And that's the fact is that most people will quit. I would say honestly, 90% of the people will quit because only 10% of the people end up using successful entrepreneurs. It's because they think that they're not getting the attention, the attraction. They feel like nobody's watching. But here's the thing is everybody listens and watches in silence. They're watching you. They're not responding. They're not supporting you because they're wondering if you're just another fly, fly by night person that's showing up or a flash in the pan. There's like thousands of other people before you that just jumped into something and running full speed and, you know, and they're like, this person's going to burn out. They're, they're not committed. They're yeah. just going to be, and you know, and they're not going to support you until you've made it that six months, that 12 months of showing up every day. And they go, okay, now this person's serious. Like this person is showing their consistency. They're proven. Now I trust them. Now I'm going to start betting on them. Now I'm going to start supporting them. So you have to, you have to push through. God, this is church, man. That is so good. And that's why I love the, what I call the unconventional crowd, the people, the underdog, the people who have built stuff from the ground up because they have that grit mm -hmm. to be able to hang on because they want it so bad and they've had to work so hard. And that's why I love this, this community that we're building. I'm sorry, we're right at time. Where can no people problem. connect with you and grab your book? 
The best way for everybody to reach me is through my website. It's 365driven.com. So the number is 365driven.com. And you'll find links to all my social pages on there, my best-selling book, and my podcast all on one website. Keep it easy. That's right. I didn't get to 50 of the questions I still had for you. Do you mind if you answer one more? I know hey, we're I got, I, got, I, got, I got time if you okay. want to keep going. Awesome. Let's, let's rock this. Let's get some value out there. <laughs> I was just wondering, if you were to go back, I've been asking this question a lot lately, and I really love it because there's it's, it's easy for someone who hasn't made it to where they want to be, which who has? Side note, that's another conversation. Mm -hmm. But to see someone like you and just put dissonance between themselves and you and think, well, that's great, you know, for Tony and, you know, blah, 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 blah. What would you go back and tell yourself before you had made it? Let's say that guy, you know, working full time, going to college, all that, but before any of this was even an option in your mind, if you were to go back and sit with him for a moment, what would be some key advice that you would give him? Man, I love that question. And this is going to resonate with a lot of people, hopefully listening and watching this. But to me, being shy is a waste of damn time. Ooh. Introverted or whatever excuses you want to tell yourself is a waste of damn time. And it's costing you money and it's costing you opportunities. It's costing you potential happiness in your life because you're deciding to stand in the corner, stand in the shadows, afraid of putting yourself out there, not being vulnerable. This is the kind of thing that you'll find that people who are willing to put themselves out there, be vulnerable, face the critics rather than hide from critics and just do what they need to do to make themselves happy. They're going to have the better lives in the end. One of the biggest regrets you'll ever have is people not putting themselves out there and doing the things that they really wanted to do because let's face it, most people are worried about what other people say and think about them. And here's the thing that for the critics and the haters and things like that, and the naysayers, these people will not be at your funeral. They will not be at your funeral. So do not let them ruin your life. While you're alive, we all have a short amount of time. That's Push right. that crap aside. Speak your mind. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. If you see someone that's interesting, go up and introduce yourself. If you're looking at somebody that you're interested in, maybe having a relationship with, don't be shy and don't be a coward. And you only get these opportunities once in life. And, and, and I think all of us can think about things that we we miss these opportunities because we're too shy or we lied to ourselves and say, well, I'm an introvert. I don't do that. All these self-limiting beliefs. No, that's, that's BS. Yeah. I used to be shy. I used to be the quiet person that kind of fit in, didn't want to stand out because I had bullies in junior high. And I, and I learned that if I didn't stand out and didn't do things and didn't push the rock, the boat, then I could kind of hide in the herd and nobody would mess with me. But then I realized like, you know, they don't build statues or name highways after people who fit in the herd. So what did you do? I mean, if that's who you are naturally, it was an introverted guy. What sets you, just, you, you just have to find that anything that makes you uncomfortable, anything that makes you anxious, anything that creates a fear emotion, you start to look at those as indicators of things that you should be doing. If, if you see an attractive woman and you're single and, and you're like, man, I would like to meet that, that lady. I mean, she just, there's something about her. I mean, there's an energy that we all put off that people you can't deny. And you're like, man, that's, I would like to just know her. Like, you know what? Go introduce yourself. Even yeah. if it feels awkward, like these things that we call fear, anxiety, these are triggers that you should be starting to become aware of whenever you feel that kind of emotion. Or even if you're happy, if you feel a happiness emotion, become aware of why that's reason. Like, why do I feel this emotion and how do I control the outcome? Most people run away from anything that kind of feels uncomfortable or discomfort. Yep. That's how we're wired. We're wired. Our brains are taught. We're wired to survive. Yeah. 
and that means like running away from anything that kind of feels like uncomfortable. But if you really want to improve your life, you start seeking out things that make you feel uncomfortable, like public speaking, yeah. doing these things. Like for me, it was like public speaking was one of the worst things I could imagine until I decided to go get lessons and just overcome that fear. And I became very good at it. And that led to the podcast and public speaking events and yeah. being on the radio. These are things that you can learn. They're not, they're not skills that we're born with. Like you see somebody that's rocking the mic, like somebody might be listening to this and you and I, Heather, and seeing our videos on, on social media going, man, I wish I could do that. I just, I'm just so shy. Like, well, you know what? We all started that way. Come on. It's a skill. It's a skill. You learn this. Like, it's like dancing. You go learn this. It's like the language you speak. You learn that. These are not things we're born with. You learn these things. You have to be able to put, invest into that time and go do that. So being a shy, because I was, is a waste of time. I love that. I love that. There's actually, I was doing some research on, on comfort zones and all that. And psychology, there's a psychologist who called it optimal anxiety when you're in this place of intentional, putting yourself in intentional anxiety, because that's what's required of growth is to be like, Oh, anxiety. Oh, fear. Yeah. That's a prerequisite to growing and developing. I'm not saying stress or having to take pills and go to counseling, but in the same sense, like we have to welcome discomfort in our lives because that's the only way that we can grow. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, if people knew me 18 months ago, I avoided doing selfies and videos like that. I mean, I the only time, I, <laughs> only time I was in a photo was like if my wife was doing it and she liked to take those photos when we yeah. go travel the world and things like that. And that's fine, but I would never, you know, being a man and especially in the car world, like you doing a selfie, like your friends all make funny. You get it. You know, it's, it's an alpha type ego type thing. Like, who's this guy like doing a selfie? That's, that's what you know, <laughs> chicks do. They say stuff like that. Right. And I said, you know what, for me to be the public speaker, be able to build this personal brand, to be able to communicate the story, the messages I need to share. People need to know who I am. They need to know what I'm working on. They need to understand what I think. That's how I'm going to build my authentic audience is being who I am. And if that requires people seeing photos of me or hearing me on videos, even if the videos suck initially, they were terrible, Heather. They were terrible as I didn't have the public speaking training. I didn't have the confidence to do those, but I just kept doing it. I just kept doing it. It had people making fun of it. It had people that I thought were friends that were making fun of me and text streams with other people and you know, sharing my videos and laughing at them. And, and I found out these ways because some of the people in those circles were still my friends. But it really shows you that other people are trying to hold you down. Other people are trying to criticize you. Other people are doing things that, you know, they're, they're, they're making fun of you for things that they do not have the courage or bravery to do. Come themselves. On. You know, they, yeah. that's how it comes down to it. They're like, those people, I could challenge every single one of them. Hey, let's do a live video right now. And they would be like, oh, hell no. Because it's easier to make fun of other people doing that. And now that I've started to see the success and seeing the results from doing these things, it's like, I just stuck to my mission. I was like, I didn't care. My purpose was strong enough that I did not care about what they thought. And I think it kind of goes back to the funeral statement I made. It's like, these people aren't going to be in my funeral. They're going to crap what they think. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have not subscribed yet, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And also, if you have a second, leave us a review. Lastly, we have a private Facebook group. If you are looking for a tribe of like-minded leaders who are unconventional in their approach, but dedicated to making an impact, head over to Facebook and type in unconventional leaders, and we will be sure to add you. You guys have a great week.